Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. So last weekend, we had my four nephews spend the weekend at our house. Four boys ranging in age from seven to 13. So four plus my two, that's six kids. And you say, wow, that must have been a full house. And it was a full house. And yeah, there were times that it was difficult to walk your way through the living room with pillow forts and everything like that. But of course, my kids are only two and a half. And the thing that I really appreciated was the maturity of these boys. We were able to go down to the neighborhood park and I, as the dad, was able to say, okay, you watch this kid, you watch this kid, you watch the dog, and I'm just going to have some dad zone out time over here because they were mature and responsible and capable to do things. Do you know that it actually gave me hope at the end of the weekend? I realized my kids are going to grow up. This time of intensely needing us, needing our attention, needing us to do things for them, while it's wonderful, One day, they're going to be able to do more and more and more on their own. And maturity is a wonderful thing that I, as a father, look forward to in my kids. Maturity is a wonderful thing. And isn't it something how you can look at other people and you can often immediately spot the ways in which they need to grow But isn't it also amazing that somebody probably thinks the same thing about me, about you, and we have blind spots to it in our own maturity. We we don't see the ways that we need to grow, but we all need to grow. Maturity is a part of life, and spiritual maturity is a necessary part of life as well. Paul recognized it as he wrote the book of Ephesians, that those Christians needed to mature. God recognizes it, that you and I need to spiritually mature, and I hope by the end of this message, you will recognize and value the importance of spiritual maturity. And we're going to dive into the first half of chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians this morning. But, but first, let me give you some points to ponder when it comes to this business of spiritual maturity. Or I will use the term spiritual growth interchangeably. I suppose you could think about maturity as the end goal and growth as the process. But to me, I'm going to speak of them as if they're one and the same. So let me point out a few things about spiritual growth and maturity. First of all, Spiritual maturity is allowing the Spirit of God to enter you, to take up residence, to fill you to the fullest extent possible, and to do whatever it is wants it, that it wants to do inside of you. That is spiritual maturity. That's the growth path that we are hopefully all on. It's like at our house, we've got this uh, bounce house that we can set up for the kids, and it actually collapses down into a really tight, compact package. But when you put the blower on it and unroll everything, it expands and expands and expands. And think of the Spirit of God in that way. The Spirit of God wants to live inside of you, but it's not content to be this tiny piece inside of you. It wants to expand and expand to the furthest reaches. Second point, spiritual growth is not a natural process. It is a supernatural process. It took the death of Jesus Christ on the cross to open up a pathway of connection between you and God that the Spirit could come and reside in you. It's not something we can cause or plant on our own. It is the Spirit's work. Third, the goal of spiritual growth is to become like Christ. But here's the catch. You and I on this side of heaven will never fully become like Christ. So therefore, the work of spiritual growth and maturity is never truly done. And fourth, spiritual growth is not inevitable. It does not happen in everybody. Why? Some people don't have the Spirit of God living inside of them. 
Others of us do a really good job of receiving the Spirit, but then we clutter up our lives, our thoughts, our wishes with all kinds of other things. And like if I put a brick on top of that bounce house, but then run the blower in, the bounce house cannot expand to its full potential. And that is the same thing true of God's spirit inside of us. So the best way to think about spiritual growth is it is a partnership. God leads and initiates, but we need to accept the invitation and follow like a dance. And so you can kind of think about the book of Ephesians as having two parts. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are laying out what God has done, the theological realities. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 are the ethical imperatives that are on us, what we should do in response. But even within the first half of chapter 4, I see a dance depicted. I want to talk about that dance. God's move, our move in response to bring you and I into spiritual maturity. Here's one. God invites, we accept the invitation by living lives worthy of the calling that we've received. We'll unpack that statement in just a second. The second move in this dance, God unites us by his spirit. We, in response, fight to keep that unity by practicing the bond of peace. Third, God gives gifts. Our part in that is to receive the gifts and use them for their intended purpose. And fourth, God reveals truth our response is to live in that truth. And when we do that, we grow and grow and grow together. So you want to learn those steps? You want to learn how to engage in this dance of spiritual growth and maturity? Then let's dive into the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning with verse number 1. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now the word for live a life in Greek is the word to walk or to walk around. That's an important consideration in spiritual growth and maturity is it's not something that we achieve in one day and say, checked it off the list, I am now spiritually mature, but your spiritual life is a walk. And just like when you walk, you have to watch where you go. You've got to stay on the path. You've not, we don't want to veer out into traffic or into dangerous places. That's true of our spiritual growth and maturity as well. We have to walk day by day because one day we may nail it. We may behave in spiritually mature ways and the next day, guess what? You wake up and you're still you and you've got passions and impulses and imperfections inside of you that are battling against what the Spirit is trying to do. And so you and I, if we're going to grow as Christians, we have to develop daily rhythms and practices of putting away what it is that our natural self wants to make room for what the spiritual, the supernatural spirit of God wants in us. Sometimes people will practice daily self-examination and confession. And it's a way of matching up our conduct, our attitudes against this ideal standard of perfection that we see depicted in Christ. You say, well, what am I comparing myself against? You're comparing yourself against that idea of living a life worthy of the calling that you have received or a, a literal but clunky translation is the calling to which you have been called. What is that calling? It's the invitation from God that is defined and described in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. It's the gospel of reconciliation that at one time you were far away from God. At one time I was far away from God and God has brought me close regardless of my 
ethnic origin, regardless of the language that I speak, God can do this. And I think we have to grasp what a scandalous thing this was that God did. That the gospel of reconciliation is not just the forgiveness of sins. It's the fact that God could go from being Yahweh God, the God of Israel, which he was and which he is, but also being almighty God, transcending cultures, transcending ethnicities, and becoming, building this kingdom of every tribe and nation and language and tongue and he builds these multitudes and in bible times you just got to understand how scandalous that was i mean the jews had their nation and they had their god which was yahweh but neighboring nations had their own gods and practices and cultures really didn't mix and gentiles were known as dogs and now when Jesus ascends into heaven and he says, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And, and Paul takes that seriously and he takes the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, this was a scandalous thing. Even some of Jesus' original apostles said, I'm not so sure about their inclusion. But God proved that the gospel was big enough to cover all of those things. And so to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received, if you're a Gentile, which most of you listening this morning were not born Jewish, so most of us are Gentiles, is, get this, to recognize that you received a secondary invitation to the party. Yeah, you weren't on the original guest list. You received a secondary invitation to the party. And so I just want you to imagine for a moment, it's the day after election day, and the guy you voted for won, whoever that is, he won. And you receive an email inviting you to the inauguration. You didn't donate, you're nobody special, all you did was vote, and you're getting an invitation to the inauguration. So January 20th, COVID willing, there you are in the presidential box on the front steps of the US Capitol. Your friends can see you on TV. And later that night, you're at the reception at the Hay Adams Hotel, and all the bigwigs are around, and the president is there, the newly sworn in uh, president, and, do you imagine that there's any point in the party where you turn to your traveling companion and say, what in the world are we doing here? Well, I think that's what Paul implies when he says, live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called is to bear in mind that if you are a Gentile, I am, you probably are, you were a secondary invite. So what that means is two things. Number one, you Bring nothing to the party. Now, there's two ways to take that statement. If I'm inviting you over to my house and I say, and, and, and you bring nothing to the party, I can mean that in a really hospitable way. I'm going to provide everything, the food, the drinks, the entertainment. All I want you to be there is you and enjoy yourself. But I can also look at you and say, by the way, you bring nothing to the party. And if I say that to you, you might be so offended you don't actually even come to my party but it's true of God's banquet. And we've got to grapple with that reality that you and I bring nothing to the party. By that I mean God's invitation to you, his choosing of you, his election of including you in the kingdom of God was not based on your wonderfulness, was not based on your good looks, was not based on your special talent or any merit at all that you possess, only because God decided to, you and I, bring nothing to the party. The second hard truth in that is 
it's God's party. And God matters more than you do. God matters more than I do. God's dreams matter more than my dreams. God's wishes matter more than your wishes. God's desire for humanity and the direction he wants to see the world go matters more than my vision of where I would see the world go. And so see, in this process of spiritual maturity, I have to constantly be aware of when I'm listening to my own voice, my own motivation, and when I'm actually yielding to the voice and the will and the wishes of the Spirit of God. Can you swallow those two things? That you bring nothing to the party. You were a secondary invitation. And that God and God's purposes and God's world matters more than you. Can, can you swallow that? It, because if you can, you're going to have an easier time obeying what comes next in verses 2 through 6. And if you can't, then maybe that's a growth point where you need to pause and, and just revisit the early chapters of Ephesians and go, man, what was God doing when he expanded the gospel beyond the Jewish nation? Because it was, it was a big thing. So let's move on now to verses two through six. Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. See, because if I don't believe that the party is about me and I I wasn't invited because I was special, I can be completely humble and gentle. Well, completely humble? I mean, we all know a little bit what it is to practice a little bit of humbleness, but completely humble? Think of what it would be to be in an area that is completely silent. I mean, when you're in a room that's 30 decibels or less, That's pretty quiet, but a place that's completely silent, I don't think we can even fathom that. The question is, can you fathom yourself being completely humble? You've probably performed acts of humbleness, but completely humble? That's where Paul wants to get us to. That's where God wants to get us to. Completely humble and gentle. Being patient, bearing with one another in love, or putting up with one another in love because church life is messy. And we have to deal with people who are not exactly like us. Though they have received the Spirit of God, we think differently. We prefer different things. Can we bear with one another in love? Verse 3, we've got to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So God established the unity, but we've got to maintain the unity through the bond of peace. Paul says there's one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He's depicting unity, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so God united, but it's our job to preserve that unity through the bond of peace. And peace isn't just the absence of conflict. Peace isn't just we didn't yell at each other. Peace is an active thing that we do to preserve peace. Now, it's true, we're united by doctrine and we're not gonna put up with people you know, preaching that Jesus wasn't the son of God, that he didn't really die on the cross, that his death on the cross wasn't enough to forgive your sins. That is not sound doctrine. We're united by doctrine, but beyond that, we recognize that practicing unity and keeping this bond of peace is a hard thing, but it's a necessary thing. Here's a thought you don't always have to be right about everything. And even when you are right, you don't always have to say it. It's a hard lesson that I've had to learn. That even if I'm right in my opinion, I don't always have to dig in my heels. Sometimes I can be big enough to allow for differences of opinion, yes, even in the body of Christ. 
And that ability to practice humbleness is itself a sign that you're growing, that you're maturing. Stuart Briscoe wrote a book called Improving with Age. And in it, he says this. He says, older people no longer need to prove how smart they are or how successful they're becoming. They're not bent on impressing others. They're free to be frank about their failings, their faux pas. They don't hesitate to tell others about them. They laugh at themselves and their friends join in. And if you remember your 10-year high school reunion, everybody's there kind of boasting about themselves and trying to look really good. 20-year high school reunion, not so much. My 30-year high school reunion is coming up, hopefully, uh, next summer. And I think we're going to be very down-to-earth people because that's a sign of maturity that you can just accept who you are and accept other people who they are. And in the church, we do that under the banner of one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Christ. Can you see how you bring nothing to the party and embracing that truth leads us to maturity? Because we're downplaying ourselves, we're downplaying our self-importance. Now, important caveat. At the same time, it doesn't mean that we despise ourselves. It doesn't mean that we despise others. It doesn't mean that we despise our individuality. We square this against the classic traditional teaching of the Christian church that the individual matters and matters deeply because we bear the image of God and because we have the ability to be filled. And another way to explain filling is we have the ability to be shaped. Another way to explain shaping is we have the ability to be influenced. So let me explain this. In Colossians 1.9, Paul says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Filling is, again, that picture of filling up the bounce house. It starts small, but it just expands and expands and expands as far as it can go. How mature can a person become? Yeah, I have no idea. How full of God's Spirit can you become? I have no idea, but that is the goal. And as you are filled and shaped and influenced, the Spirit has more and more of its way with you. Now, Paul's going to use the same verb, plerao, in chapter 5 of Ephesians. He'll tell us to be filled with the Spirit, but he describes the same thing without using the same words in verses 7 through 16. He says this, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So get the picture. When Jesus was on the earth, he was just a man by all appearances. He was limited just like everybody else. He needed to eat. He needed to sleep. Eventually he died. Then he gets taken up into the heavens and he just expands and he fills the whole universe. What a beautiful picture that you and I are just ordinary people, but we can receive the spirit of God and the Spirit of God can expand and grow and grow and grow as far as possible. Now, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers in verse 11 to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So this is the third step in the dance. Christ gives gifts or he gives offices in the church our response is to be trained and to build up, to be built up, be built up ourselves and then build up other people. That's the intended purpose that the body of Christ will be built up. The purpose of gifts is not to glorify ourselves. It's not to meet some inner need of significance in ourselves. It is to minister to other people. And I want to 
make that note right here that spiritual growth and maturity is not something reserved for a class of spiritually elite people. It's not reserved for monks. It's not reserved for pastors and people who do this as a vocation. Spiritual growth is for everybody. We love to see people grow. That's why we do ministry. We love to see you grow and we would love to know how to help you grow. If you're hearing this message this morning and you're stuck, by all means, reach out to one of us on the pastoral staff. We wanna help you get unstuck because we don't live in some rarefied world and the rest of the people are here. Spiritual growth is for all of us. It is God's will that the whole church would grow together because here's the end result, verse 13. We all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God, of Christ. So individually, we are full of the Spirit, but collectively, our churches are full of the Spirit as well. Imagine that. Now there's lots of work to be done to get there. Everybody knows when you're working out, you've got to work out your whole body. If you only work out your quadriceps, but never the hamstrings on the other side, you're gonna eventually suffer an injury. If you only lift with your biceps, but you don't work out your triceps, you're gonna look funny. You've gotta work out the whole body. And so the same thing, Christ is the head of the body, this passage says, but the body may be weak and immature and it needs to catch up to what Christ is. I'll give you this picture. When I was a kid, I remember coming across a photograph of my mom when she was a kid. She was about maybe seven or eight years old. And I stared at that photograph because in it, I could see the face of my mom. I mean, I clearly recognized that was my mom, but I was used to seeing my mom in a 35-year-old body, a 40-year-old body, and here she was in the body of a child. And I just stared at it thinking, that is so odd, because that's my mom, but that body, it, it doesn't match the face that I'm used to. So think of that with Christ being the head of the body. Christ is the head of this church. But is our body sufficiently mature? Are we honoring him because he's the, the completeness and the fullness, the picture of perfection? Is the body being built up? And the benefit of growth is best understood by how this passage concludes, beginning at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Remember having infants at your home? Remember raising infants? Infants are hard work. And you love them and you're so glad that you're there, but make no mistake, you can't wait till they grow up a little bit and can do some things on their own because infants give nothing by way of maintenance of the family. They just take, take, take. And you cannot wait until the day that they grow up. And even with my kids being two and a half, I mean, now they do little chores around their house, but they don't do a great job. But someday they are going to contribute to the work of the family and I can't wait. And that is not, not love to say, I can't wait for my kids to grow up. I can't wait for my son to get on the ladder and hang Christmas lights for me because I hate getting up on the ladder, but I'll do it this year. But someday he's going to be able to do that and I'm excited for him and for us and what that will mean as a family. And so it is not not love for God to look at you and say, I love you exactly where you're at, though you might be spiritually mature. And at the same time, I want to see you grow up. God wants to see us grow up. Why? Because then we'll be a strong body. 
and, and we're not going to give in to deceitful teaching, but instead, verse 15, we speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect that mature body of him who is the head, which is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It might be helpful to pause at this point and ask, what would be the price to a church, maybe our church, if we all don't grow to maturity? Well, one would be glory-seeking. That some people would have gifts and other people would just sit back and admire those gifts, but not everybody is growing to maturity. Another would be that we just cannot cope with diversity. Everybody's got to think and act the same on every single thing. Another price of not becoming mature would be that we just suffer from shifting theological fads because we're not grounded in the truth. Or that we fight constantly. We don't honor one another. Or that there is no discernible moral difference between the church people and the rest of the world. We'll talk about that next week when we talk about practicing holiness. But, but step four in this dance then is God reveals truth. And we don't take that truth and we nod at it and go, okay, yeah, I got it, but I'm going to go live my life. No, we live by that truth. I mean, strictly speaking, if you're going to do a really wooden translation of the Greek here, it is truthing. Instead, truthing, we will grow to become what we're expected to be. That's not a real word, truthing, but let's go with it. Truthing doesn't just mean nodding at the truth or speaking the truth to each other and not doing anything about it. It is speaking the truth and living by that truth. So it's one thing for me to know that constantly responding to notifications on my cell phone is not good for my brain. It destroys my concentration. I never get anything done. It's one thing for me to know that. It's another thing for me to actually go into the settings and turn off all of those notifications so that I can focus and concentrate. And the same thing with the word of God. It's one thing for us to know the word of God. It's another thing for us as the body of Christ to put it into practice and actually become strong from it. And so another thing that we need individually and collectively is daily rhythms for taking in the truth from God, becoming strong at discerning truth versus error. What's the word of God and the voice of God to you versus just things that we might believe are true or unexamined assumptions or the voice of the world? We've got to get good at doing those things. So to draw this to a close, Christ is the head of the body. The body can survive without some body parts. You can lose a finger, but not vice versa. You cannot survive without the head. So Christ is the head of the church. Spiritual growth does not happen apart from him it does not happen ahead of him but he is already there and complete and he wants his body which is us to grow up to be mature you need to grow and i need to grow and our church as an institution needs to grow and i wonder what god sees when he looks at north coast calvary chapel where christ is the head does he see a body that is suitably mature are we on pace and worthy of the calling to which we have all been called. For you individually, that's a meaningless question if you don't consider yourself part of us or part of any church body. If you're just out doing spirituality on your own, then that's a meaningless question. But I want to enjoy, invite you to commit to us or commit to a church body. Be part of this great growth process that we can enter together. Join a fellowship group, Join a small group and let's grow strong together because I don't get any return on my investment until I, by faith, make that investment.
Thanks for joining us this weekend. And one more thing, sometimes grow up is spoken to us angrily. People just want us to grow up. They're intolerant of us and they're tired of dealing with our foolish, childish nonsense. I want you to know that whatever stage of spiritual maturity you're at, God values you today where you are at the same time as he desires your growth and all of our growth and our maturity together. Have a great week. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.